Hello everyone and welcome to the new podcast What Comes Next in cooperation with TTA Drama Tecno Ambiental. You are going to listen to the adventures of 10 InnoEnergy Master students fostering energy access in Africa. Our focus is on understanding what happens after rural communities have access to electricity for the first time. That is what comes next. Today our group is represented by Beatriz, Kinan, Luca and myself, Felipe. Our guest for this talk is Hannah Motran, a PhD student who has been exploring the effects of energy access in Impale for more than three years. Impale is a small community in the north of Tanzania that received its first energy access in 2017. First of all, Hannah, thank you for your time and for this opportunity to learn more about your studies. And to start our conversation, could you please tell us how did you connect with this topic and with this community in Tanzania? And by the way, what is your background? My first degree was in geology. (laughs) So I have the kind of scientific background. But then after that, via being a physics teacher, I then worked in um, an energy policy, both in, in the UK government, uh, and then for an NGO, which is where I started working more focused on energy access. So I, just how I got connected with um, Umbale was through people I knew in NGOs. Um, I was based in the UK, but was working with people from all over the world as part of an energy access coalition. And then, so I started my PhD three years ago. I started off in engineering, <laughs> but then I moved to geography. But I'm still a still have an advisor in based in engineering. Um, so I started off with my project wanting to be very participatory. So for the aims to be kind of led by the people in the community, but also being interdisciplinary. So I'm looking at modeling, like how mini grids are modeled and planned as well. So. The stuff that I'm kind of focusing on now is around like energy justice and the distributive impacts of mini grids on people in communities. At the moment, I'm writing a paper on different tariffs. So I spent six months last year in Tanzania and two months this year. So I've visited Umbale like four times, two times just for a few days for a visit. And then two times I stayed for a month doing interviews, focus groups, some more participatory activities where I gave people training on uh, research, on advocacy, on how to use electricity for different uses. And there's some various outputs from that within the community. And then also uh, surveys about people's usage, about how people pay for electricity and some of the challenges that they have there. So yeah, and there's one paper I'm looking at that I'm writing at the moment is about the different tariff models. So I visited five other mini grids, but just for a few days, uh, mostly like four of the other ones were um, similar size to Mbale. Um, so yeah, what I'm writing at the moment is about the kind of the different tariffs and how kind of economically efficient they are at kind of collecting the costs and also how kind of people experience them because you know a lot of people are just using electricity for very basic usages like light and uh, for mobile phone charging and some of these kind of more economically efficient tariffs uh, because they're cost reflective so these tariffs are 10 
are hundreds of times more expensive than being connected to the main grid in Tanzania. Like they have some grant funding, but they have to cover a lot of the costs from the companies. So one of the things we're looking at in that is seasonality of income. Uh, people's income varies on the seasons because it's mostly agriculture. So how does that affect the load profiles? And looking a bit at how that affects the, what you kind of model as an optimum solution. But then this kind of energy justice approach comes into that because I say it's right that people don't have electricity or are forced to electricity during some seasons. Because it's not like in the kind of Indian context, which one of my colleagues works on and some others, there's a, a kind of synergy between the season that people have less money is when they don't need to use their fans. So they do have lower demand. And then when they have higher income, when it's like harvest season, they need to use their fans. So there, there's a synergy there. Whereas on these projects where people are using it for basic uses, they still have the demand, but they can't afford to pay. So they go without electricity. So yeah, so I am going to look at modeling that, but also being like, is it right to say that that's something that's happening? Whereas should you be saying actually, rather than designing a system that fits with that demand profile, you should be looking at your business model. Yeah, that was my question. Actually, Hannah, you were saying that this first project or this first approach that you are uh, dealing with to dive deeper into the understanding the tariff models and, and if they are economically efficient from the perspective of the investors of, or the companies that are providing the energy services. But we're also trying to step into the shoes of the ones that are really like in the shoes of the community and trying to understand how it can become more like fair or, or yeah so one of the things so for example with like with solar power it's economically efficient to have time of use tariffs because it's cheaper to provide electricity during the day than at night because you have to you know use your batteries potentially use a diesel generator but for a lot of people they're just using lights you can't shift that demand in any way because <laughs> you only need your lights on when it's dark and then you're having to pay higher and then people who can afford to shift their demand like businesses are paying less you know for for profit making activities than people are paying for basic needs, basic needs. yeah and how, can see, like, how, how can we try to address such a challenging context or and that also addresses me to my further question would be because i think that relates quite closely to our project where we are trying to understand in which extent this first access to basically light is beneficial for the community and how or if it could make sense you know to try to increase it and provide them other services that could increase further their quality of life because one thing is just switch on the lights and the other things is trying to improve quality of life, talking about health services and I don't know, water um, access, water access, the sort of agriculture, the setup for producing elements, the foods and nutrition factors, or am I going like too far away and we should, you know, first focus on trying to make this first access of just providing uh, electricity for lightning in a more fair way and then think about the next steps. Yeah, I think I mean it is somewhere where there's like the kind of technical approach but then it's also like a policy approach and how so the government policy is like we're going to give everyone access from the grid but then they're not and it's going really slowly. And some of these communities as well in terms of like people have done modeling like you know based on distance from the grid and 
you know, so cost of transmission and distribution infrastructure and losses along lines and things like that, that it's more economically efficient. It's cheaper to power these communities with like mini grids or solar home systems and things. But the government, there's a bit of a, there's like a socialist element to it of like electricity access. Everybody should have the same access to electricity. So the government is saying like everyone should have access to the grid. We want to get the grid to everybody and everybody should pay the same of 100 shillings per unit, which is like 3p or four. Uh, we're basically on one on one with the euro now, I think. <laughs> like three euro cents per unit is what you pay if you're on the main grid, 100 Tanzanian shillings. Um, but then there's not the funding for the developers to do that. So there's been some incidents. They, the, the, the Minister for Energy went to a project and arrested people because they were charging like 3,000 uh, Tanzanian shillings, whereas on the main grid people pay three cents per unit. But these companies are doing what the government has allowed them to do, which is the projects under 100 kilowatts are allowed to charge cost reflective tariffs that they get signed off by Uro, who's the energy and water that. So, I mean, it is a complicated situation because, I mean, these people are having access and the people in the community are like, yeah, we're glad we've got access. And we'd say to other villages, like, you should have a project like this because it's better than not having access. But that doesn't mean that what's happening is fair. It's quite a policy decision. But then when you look at what kind of other institutions like people like the World Bank and like some kind of big donors, they're quite focused on this, like, yeah, productive uses of energy and energy for businesses and things like that kind of households are paying as much as. Can I make one question regarding yeah. Bali? Right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's the right pronunciation, but uh, you mentioned that you made some surveys with yeah. uh, the community trying to understand, trying to see the benefits, I think so, of yeah. this energy access. And also you mentioned that the incomes very related with the, the season. Where these incomes came from? So the main crops are tea, sugarcane, then some other just kind of garden vegetables, some maize, bananas, some spices. Okay, so it's a very manual, this agriculture process. Yeah. So is it a good uh, way of thinking to provide some electrical devices in order to improve their efficiency or try to find a business model to provide this? And with this device, they can improve the incomes and with these incomes, part of these incomes can be used to pay the device. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the thing is, is it's not just a device that's needed. So there's also issues with like road access to the village of like access to actual markets. So there is a tea factory that comes and collects tea every few days. They do sell their tea, the truck comes to get the sugar cane. And whether you could move some production there, I mean, I think there's issues around the kind of necessary scale of those kind of things. It's not just the device about that. And I mean, there are examples of mini grids doing that. So there's a Jumame project that I went to in uh, Buissia is on the lakes where they're able to do that quite straightforward to, because the community there's fishing which is something you can easily add value to by freezing the fish because then you can transport them across the lake you know they've got a valuable resource there and they can freeze it and then transport it and they can get a much higher price than transporting fresh fish because it's better quality when it arrives and it can be you know it can be shipped to wherever it can get the best price whereas for this kind of maize sugarcane they you know I mean, there are specific issues. There used to be another tea factory 
in the area but that closed down and that they got a better price from that one and they got more reliable it was more reliable to get money from it I think because of a few reasons because of the road condition and yeah when you start looking at those kind of scale of things like in a neighboring village there was some investors who were looking at something for spice processing but it's kind of a factory kind of larger scale and whether that can be accommodated on this kind of scale of mini grid and also the cost of the electricity why would a company pay this higher price for electricity when they could be on the grid but you know they would be paying much more whereas for this island with the freezers it's like You've got to have the freezers there because that's where there's this resource of fish and where's demand for fish. So even though you're paying slightly more for your electricity, it's worth it. But for something like a tea factory or a sugar factory, incentive to build it in this community where your electricity will be more expensive. I mean, there are things, the electricity there is more reliable, but if you had a, I don't think it would, I don't know how much power sugarcane and tea processing users, but I imagine it's going to be more than what like kind of scale grids can necessarily provide. Like the electricity is more reliable than the national grid in rural areas. In in these areas, neighbouring villages that have the grid, or like ones, they're not neighbouring because they're quite far from the grid. They can see each other across the valley. They might have outages for a week. It's not the government priority. Tanesco, the electricity supplier, to fix distribution lines to like rural areas and things. So the grid is unreliable. But yeah, there's just not really an economic incentive for like a company to go somewhere they'd have to pay this higher price that like the roads aren't great to get to market when they could be, you know, the tea factories like further down the road where the road is better and they just have to send their truck up. But they send trucks out to like lots of different villages to collect the tea leaves. Yeah, so they do have some productive uses like hair salons, uh, showrooms, uh, people fixing motorbikes shops we see like having lighting a couple of them have got fridges there's some people who have some like a few kind of basic tools that will work on like a 300 watt connection but they're quite limited to activities that kind of just circulate wealth within the community and maybe like the surrounding villages so people might come in from a neighboring village that doesn't have electricity or something but they're not particularly bringing wealth into the community it's just changing how it's circulating within the community and Hannah, I don't know if you want to first finish your project, your PhD and come to the conclusions, but if you don't mind, if you could share with us some of the conclusions or some of the insights that you are already coming up with, but if you have already thought about any tariff model that you could, you know, say <laughs> that it's not necessarily a tariff model, it's the importance of subsidies mm. and you know, energy being seen as a social right rather than just an economic good. It's about participation and meaningful participation of communities. So what will quite often happen, like people are like, oh yeah, we ask the community, but they ask community, like, do you want this project? And they say yes. And there's also who is listened to in communities, which are people are more likely to have a voice. You know, different people in a community will have different priorities and perspectives. Yeah, so like meaningful participation of communities to be like, right, what's actually needed here and more holistic it's good that these communities are getting access earlier but there's issues around like things not being holistic so like i was saying about like with businesses it's like you need a better road you don't it's not just electricity on its own but when you have private companies who are like we're an electricity company they're going to deliver electricity you know they will like provide services to like healthcare. yeah another issue that's big which isn't addressed at all by these projects is like access to clean cooking which is a huge impact on people's health like 
moving away from kerosene is good so that's what people would use in these villages a lot of people would use without electricity with kerosene for lighting and hannah perhaps just a more more practical question uh these recommendations that you were talking about subsidies and trying to you know ensure some meaningful participation of community these sort of recommendations you are the plan is to address them to try to support energy policy in, in these regions or is it to make some sort of rules for other companies that are approaching the communities to provide so, so the hope with organizing workshops was to get like communities and practitioners and some representatives from government to talk to each other about potential solutions because i can talk about what these problems are but kind of solutions need to be kind of some recommendations that yeah but work at different levels i mean so one level like these companies are kind of doing the best they can and they are providing services that are high risk to themselves but there are kind of tariffs that they could they could implement tariffs in a way that might cover their costs but in a fairer way and if there was kind of more open discussion with the community about like who do you think should have access and how do you think it should go that that the communities might come up with a agreeable tariff rather than what they kind of say is we can deliver you electricity at this tariff and the community say yes or no yeah I'll probably be producing some reports that are like for different levels in terms of a report for practitioners and a report for policymakers. And how challenging is the relationship with the local leaderships or the local government? So I have, well, I mean, there's challenges with the local. I've got, I've got like a good relationship with people in the village. It's just like, but um, yeah, I mean, Ensol, who are the local company who are involved in the project, they have a really good relationship because they have like permanent staff there, so keep going back. I mean, for doing research in Tanzania, like getting a research permit is important, which took quite a bit of effort. And with those kind of pieces of paper, but there are bits of, you know, you had to go to like, because I was there for a month, I had to go and see someone in Karagwe, which is the nearest town, and then we sent around to some people to get forms ticked off and give lots of people copies of my documents like my copies of my visa and copies of my uh, copies of all those kind of documents but it can be quite slow to get them yeah and we'd spoken to like the village leaders and they were like happy and took copies of the forms and were like great yeah we'll do an interview yep yeah, we can do a focus group yeah and in your opinion what come next for them what are the needs for them like after they, they have the, the energy access. Yeah. What is the next step? I think like, like cooking. So this is another example of someone cooking, like having access to clean cooking is really important for people in the community, which can't be provided really by the grid. I know there is some work that some people based out of the University of Loughborough in the UK that are doing work on modern energy for clean cooking is largely using um, pressure cookers because they can be like 300 watts whereas like a hot plate is like a kilowatt but that project is in early stages because there's still like all the other costs I mean there's big gender issues around it because women's time just isn't valued and so women spend hours doing like backbreaking work collecting wood and collecting water. How about in terms of like the health support I mean like health access and also the clean water access do you think like it's already sufficient or could it be um, developed further? 
I mean, so like the health centre could definitely be developed further. I mean, you kind of sort that's that's all the. I mean, other than lights, that's all the health equipment they use. I don't know what the next steps of health equipment would be um, above like having a fridge and a kind of incinerator slash like sterilising machine. But like that is all that they have. And yeah, so for water that people get it from rivers, you know, women and children carry buckets on their head. I sterilised the water, but that was also me not taking risks. But I think because they're in the mountains, it's relatively clean, but not always because things yeah. happen upstream. And also it's just backbreaking work that people have to do to get it. Okay. And that's just so the household. Still... Okay, okay. There's not really much irrigation going on. Okay. I don't really know. I don't know how that would fit with the kind of quantity of water that's available. Did you see any change? Do you think there's been any change comparing to before having electricity access and after? Like in people's life, especially in women's life? And, like, uh... Definitely. Like people feel safer. People are proud that their village has got access to electricity. Um, yeah, like having lights is is big. Like, you know, mm. people can like give birth with light. Like that's the main thing that happens at kind of any time of day. You know, before you'd have to like take your own kerosene lamp to the hospital with you when you give birth. You know, people being able to charge their phones, having these extra services in the village, so being able to watch TV, being able to go haircut, like having some of these other things, like yeah, tailors with electric motors on their machines and the other tools around but yeah but there's just kind of questions around whose lives is it improved and kind of by how much and that's what i'm looking at in my research. yeah yeah yes okay i think it was very 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 good and very insightful it was really nice to meet you all and yeah yeah thank you very much hannah for your time thank um, you have a good day have thank a you, day. you too. Bye. bye bye thank you very much